All right. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Laudan Pizargan, a former political prisoner and former uh, human rights activist, join us to discuss Tehran infiltrates American academia. Ms. Bazargan will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Ms. Lauden Bazargan. Hello, everyone, and thank you, MUF, for inviting me. Since the Islamists took power after the 1979 revolution in Iran, thousands of young men and women have been arrested, tortured, killed, or handed down unfair prison sentences without any due process of the law. As a condition of the release, one had to repent of his sins, sign papers, and give TV interviews or speeches in front of other prisoners showing remorse and asking for mercy to be released. By the summer of 1988, as the 10th anniversary of the regime was approaching, there were still thousands in prisons all over Iran refusing to submit to the regime and its barbaric ideology. So IRI authorities decided to solve the issue of political prisoners once and for all by eliminating all of them. Prisoners were hauled in front of the debt commission. They were interrogated and tortured in inquisitional sessions about their faith, beliefs, and political affiliation in very short five to 10 minute sessions. The goal was to eliminate as many prisoners as possible. The chosen ones were dispatched to the gallows built temporarily in the prayer halls. The revolutionary guards hanged them six at a time and meat trucks carried their lifeless bodies to be buried hastily in shallow unmarked mass graves at locations like Havaran Cemetery. The families were never given the location of their loved ones' graves. My brother, Bijan Bazargan, was a college student when he was arrested in July 1982 at age 23. After two years of interrogation, torture, and uncertainty, he received a 10-year sentence. His indictment was membership in a leftist party distributing payments and donating money to his group. After more than six years behind bars, he was suddenly executed. My parents died not even knowing where their beloved son was buried. We still don't know. A report issued by Amnesty International names Muhammad Jafar Mahalati, a former Islamic Republic of Iran ambassador to the United Nations and a current professor of religion at Oberlin College as one of the key officials involved in covering up the killings and denying the accusations as, mass, as mere propaganda. In the past 30 years, Mahalati and other Islamic regime of Iran's proxies in the US academia have raised a generation of Americans not scared of political Islam and the IRI's backward ideology. Mahalati is not unique to name a few, Hossein Musavian, Janet Afrai, Reza Aslan, Hossein Modarisi, and Behrouz Tabrizi are some other so-called Iranian professors that are busy brainwashing American students and spreading IRI's propaganda. We have seen how both Democratic and Republican administrations trusted Islamists and negotiated with Taliban and IRI terrorists, allowing them to take over Afghanistan and Iraq and create mayhem 
in Syria, Yemen, Lebanon, and other Middle East countries. Some advisors to US presidents are clueless about how dangerous political Islam is and refuse to deal with it as a plague. This plague is not limited to academia. IRI has successfully used charities, Islamic centers, anti-war groups, and even some think tanks to further its propaganda and anti-American agenda. The left in the United States naively bought the empty anti-imperialism and anti-capitalism slogans of IRI and aligned itself with such a primitive, uncivilized theocracy. Due to their hostility toward capitalism, some leftists generally have a strange intimacy with authoritarian regimes like the Islamic Republic and ignore their tyranny just because they are against imperialism. These leftists justify the cruelty of IRI against women and its gender apartheid rules as our culture and dismiss our cries against IRI as Islamophobia. We feel we are muzzled and silenced in US academia and media and our lived experiences are dismissed because the left has these rosy ideas about IRI and its brutal regime. One of the problems of having frontier state is that if IRI cannot enhance, cannot enchant someone with empty slogans, it pays top dollar and buys them instead. One can see this shamefully displayed in the millions of dollars the New York Times made selling luxury tours to Iran with its Iranian reporters moonlighting as tour guides. Hossein Ronaghi, the prominent Iranian political prisoners addressed the problem of IRI's progress proxies in the US media by writing in Wall Street Journal. For us, it is as if there are two Irans, the one where we live in and another that you read about. Your Iran is identified by pesky nuclear negotiation. Ours is much worse. It is a religious police state where we live in fear with countless red lines that most dare not cross. It is a country of repression, censorship, and violence. I would know. I have spent six years in its jails." End of quote. In the past two and a half years, we, the relatives of the victims of Iran's 1988 prison massacre, members of the Iranian-American community, and concerned citizens of Ohio, ran a successful campaign against Mahalati. We did not achieve our goal of getting Mahalati fired, but we have gained several victories against him that I list here. First, we brought the matter of the 1988 massacre to the forefront of the fight, highlighting a crime against humanity that I was trying hard to keep forgotten. Second, when Mahalati tried to use his connections and his brother-in-law's influence to get a position at Columbia University as a visiting professor, we forced Columbia to stop this transaction. Third, we found businesses in Iran that had Mahalati's name on their websites. We passed on the information to the reporters and once Mr. Benjamin Weinthal from the Jerusalem Post started sending press inquiries to the United Nations and a German university that their logos were used on that site, Mahalati's name suddenly was scrapped and a few days later, the site vanished. Fourth, we pushed one of his two-day seminars with other so-called religious leaders underground, and they had to remove all the event posters and send cancellation emails to all the people that had registered for it. 
25th in September of last year, two Republican lawmakers from the Committee of Education and Labor called for an inquiry into Mahalati due to his reported ties with the world's worst state sponsor of terrorism and its alleged role in the cover-up of a massacre of up to 5,000 Iranian political prisoners. Sixth, by organizing three protests at Oberlin College and other ones in Berlin, London, Washington DC, Atlanta, and New York in front of the businesses of Oberlin's Board of Trustees, we raised awareness about Mahalati and his dark past. Students boycotted Mahalati's classes and Oberlin was forced to cancel his classes and put him on administrative duty. Seventh, on February 6, 2023, Amnesty International issued a new report discussing the involvement of Iran's former diplomats in covering up the 1988 prison massacre, detailing the shameful role of Mahalati using documents we had uncovered. Eight, we traveled to Washington DC in March and talked to the office staffs of 15 US senators, Congress women and men, asking them to look into Mahalati's ties to Iran and forging influence in the academia. Ninth, as part of his duties, Mahalati organized workshops and invited four guests. We contacted the guest convincing three to cancel their appearances in solidarity with the victims' families. Tenth, we are going back to Ohio the last week of April to meet with Ohio state legislators to discuss Oberlin's financial status and demand the freeze of a state and federal aid to Oberlin until the administration promptly conducts a proper investigation of Mahalati's record using a reputable neutral party that agrees to hear from the victims' families and human rights groups like Amnesty International. Back in October 2020, when we started our campaign, we thought the hiring of Mahalati by Oberlin to be a mere coincidence and a lack of knowledge about his dark past. As time passed, we realized that his hiring was through a web of deception and backdoor deals that might even include some kind of fraud or breaking the laws of the United States. Years before getting hired by Oberlin, Mahalati was involved in the negotiations of facilitating the trip of Nancy Dai, former Oberlin College president to Iran. In 2004, Dai became the first president of an American college or university in more than 25 years to visit Iran. She went to Iran two more times in 2006 and 2007 and she led a successful capital campaign that raised 175 million, the largest fundraising effort to the date at Oberlin. Von Barders, where did the, she get the money? Interestingly, one of the facilitators of Dai's trips to Iran was Bob Neon, Ohio's US House of Representatives, who resigned after he pleaded guilty to conspiracy charges and making false statements concealing the Jack Abramoff Indian lobbying scandal. We received an anonymous letter from one of Oberlin's professors stating that Mahalati had promised to bring money to the school. The letter also states that Mahalati's hiring was very unusual because he was hired without even having a doctorate yet. At the same time, better candidates were available and Mahalati was granted tenure before even publishing a book. So one wonders, how did Mahalati and Dai got connected in 2002? 
Why does a college president meet with government officials such as Velayati, former IRI's foreign minister, a terrorist wanted by Interpol, Javad Larijani, a diplomat and top advisor to the Supreme Leader, Javad Zarif, former foreign minister, Mohammad Khatami, foreign president, Mehdi Faridzadeh, former Iranian cultural ambassador to the United Nations and the president of the Board of Trustee for the Islamic Institute of New York and others. Mahalati is the founder and trustee of ILEX Foundation, a non-governmental organization promoting the study of Mediterranean and Near Eastern civilizations and beyond. This foundation, among many others, invited Kamal Harazi, Iran's former foreign minister in 2000, and Mohammad Khatami, former president in 2006, to speak. Farid Zadeh is on the board of directors of Luke 10, a charity that claims its leaders encourage cross-cultural trust and theological engagement between Iranians and Americans through remote educational meetings and classes, multi-field exchange, cultural tools and events, and national and multinational humanitarian service projects. This foundation also raises money and sends it to Iran through another Iranian charity based in San Francisco called Moms Against Poverty, another foundation connected to the Islamic regime. Peter Kelly, Luke 10's board member, is a well-known lawyer and lobbyist who alongside Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, and Charles Black has served dictators from countries like Somalia, Kenya, Philippines, and made millions of dollars. Janet Afari and Reza Aslan are advisor board members of the Baskerville Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan, non-governmental organization devoted to supporting and strengthening the bonds of friendship between Iranians and Americans. Mahalati's webinar was organized by Baskerville. It was called Religion Diplomacy in the Middle East, and it was uh, put on on May 18 and 19 of 2021 at the height of our fight with Oberlin for justice and accountability. Baskerville Institute's director, Bahman Bakhtiari, was fired as head of the Utah's university's Middle East Center for Plagiarism. I wrote to Aslan and Afri in May 2021, asking them to resign from the board of Baskerville but they didn't answer. When you don't mind being on the board of a foundation whose director plagiarizes involved in mass murder becomes tolerable too. So as you can see, one of the ways IRI influences academia is through these charity foundations. They organize lectures, invite speakers, publish books, offer internships, carry favors, etc. Charities have become a tool in the hand of IRI's agents to penetrate academia and influence them all under the deception cloak of friendship, dialogue, interfaith, and peace. If you want to combat extremisms and Islamists, you must direct your attention to these religious centers and charities. After the FBI took Alavi Foundation to the court, IRI directed its focus on these smaller charities that popped up like fungus. Instead of spending money to further its propaganda, now IRI uses these foundations to receive money from grants and donations. Ask Congress to investigate these foundations and close the loopholes on these charities. 
people on the board of these organizations must be informed and then publicly shamed after the new uprising in Iran, Reza Aslan lost his status and received so much public shaming on social media that he had to apologize publicly and close his Twitter account. Mahalati's case highlights the potential risk of Islamist operatives in America, especially those with ties to foreign governments and extremist organizations. Mahalati's history as an Iranian diplomat combined with his alleged involvement in covering up mass murder raises question about his loyalty and motives. Mahalati's case is not unique and the government and educational institutions must take steps to identify and prevent potential threats while it is essential to maintain academic freedom, ensuring the safety and security of educational institutions and the communities they serve is equally important. Thank you. Thank you so much for that excellent presentation. Uh, the first question we have is from David Levine asking, it's been suggested that the soft on Iran attitude of the West is largely influenced by the prospect of renewing lucrative economic ties uh, to the Islamic Republic. Can you comment on the role of financial gain in understanding the West's tolerant attitude towards Iran? Of course, one of the biggest problem is that uh, Iran is a ranchier state because they have oil and all kinds of other minerals all these big companies are lobbying to get connected to Iran. We have uh, the rich Iranians connected to the oil and other businesses that pay $10 million, $10 million to the schools like Princeton and uh, Columbia. So these are the things that has to be addressed. These donations to the schools must be looked into and not to be allowed. Thank you so much. An anonymous attendee asks, how uh, do these clear IRI agents circumvent the U.S. immigration system? Do they just lie on their visas and green card applications? Definitely. I mean, well, I guess there are questions in there that they specifically ask them, did you commit any crime? Are you involved in any kind of things? And they, of course, and they have also the other problem is they have so many different passports, so many different names. They have the whole government in their pocket, right? And um, I think at the beginning, for people like Mahalati, that he was the former diplomat, maybe U.S. Uh, had some hopes of having access to the Islamic regime as well. So, of course, U.S. thinks about its own uh, agenda and thinks by having them close by. Uh, so I guess they think that they can, when they need any kind of negotiations, they can have access to Iran. But they are dismissing and forgetting all the dangers that they provide of teaching the students and creating all this hate toward America and toward its agenda and toward everything that it does. I have been speaking in the leftist group. They were ready to kill me just for saying that U.S. should sanction Iran. They wanted to um, cut my head and saying that, oh, U.S. is the biggest uh, enemy and has done so many bad things in the, in the region, dismissing everything that IRI and IRGC is doing. They are basically killing children. They create everything, all the crimes they did in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen, they're unforgivable. And unfortunately, uh, some progressive and leftists are, are dismissing all of that and just concentrating and zooming on other things, which is shameful. 
Thank you. Sharon A. asks, uh, U.S. academic organizations by law have to declare large donations by foreign agents. How does Iran avoid this? Does the government follow up properly? Um, the, the thing is that U.S. doesn't follow up properly. Uh, back during uh, President Trump era, when the education, when the Secretary of Education forced them to declare, suddenly $6 billion was declared that they hadn't declared before. Uh, so they are, the schools are getting away with all kinds of these backdoor deals and they are refusing, uh, especially the private schools, they are refusing to state how much money they receive, what are they using it for, and where are they getting it. And these are all scary stuff to know that all the influence that our foreign adversaries have in our education system. These are serious stuff. It is not about Iran anymore. It is about what's going on in our own backyard and the influence they are getting to have on our um, the young minds that later have to fill out all these positions and also the access they get to all these think tanks, to all the media, and even to the advisors to the White House that we see people like Robert Mull is shameful that he still has a job in the US uh, government. He should be fired immediately if there are uh, no talks about uh, JCPOA, why is he even there? Fair point. Uh, Lisa Bernard, speaking of the, the uh... She asked, uh, do these college students serve as sleeper cells in the extreme cases? They are. We, isn't, we just recently had a guy that was trying to kill Salman Rushdie in, in, the, in American soil. Some other um, Iranian Americans trying to help the kidnapping uh, Masi Alinejad and taking her to Iran. And Mahalati, the other things that he did, he did uh, defend the fatwa against Salman Rushdie back in 1988. And uh, now we see that a US uh, raised guy goes and tries to kill him because he was, he had heard their propaganda and was radicalized by them. So these are the things that we have to take serious. Thank you. Dexter Van Zyl asks, uh, have you had any luck convincing Western intellectuals about the strategic threat presented by folks like Mahalati? Uh, and have these arguments worked? Actually, the Iran's revolution really helped. Uh, the, courage, uh, the courage that Iranians showed by, uh, starting September of 2022 and came to the streets. And because we were saying all these years, we were saying this, this brutal regime does not represent us. This is not... Uh, a regime that we want, but we were getting pushback from the leftist intellectuals and the progressives. Uh, but the people that came to the streets and the courageous, especially Iranian women, all the sacrifices they made, it's really, really strengthened our hand. And now we have, um, they are listening more to us and they are more engaged with us. And we really appreciate that. Thank you. Larry Greenberg asks, it is understandable that Iran would want to infiltrate U.S. institutions. Why is academia so willing to accept the money and look the other way at Iran's atrocities and evil intentions? As I said, unfortunately, there is this uh, conversation going out about the colonialism, about all the bad things that U.S. did in other countries, which I don't deny that they did. But what I like about U.S. is that it, re it reflects on its bad steps and it thinks about it and, and comes back. Or when uh, back in 1953, U.S. did a coup in Iran and um, uh, took away Mossadegh, our uh, democratically elected uh, 
prime minister, which I hope it was still, and the US hasn't done that before, but uh, President Clinton, Secretary Clinton, when she was the Secretary of State, she came and apologized for that coup, something that you never see that Russia, China, or Iran do, or other dictatorships. But unfortunately, the intellectuals in US, what um, you know, since I started this campaign and I started to know a lot of Jewish people, I really think that unfortunately, the non-Jewish Americans, they don't know what evil means. They don't understand it. They don't understand Nazism. They don't understand communism. They don't understand the millions of people that they were killed. So they compare US exactly to those regimes, which is not equal. It is not equal and they don't understand it. I have received so much support from the Jewish people because they understand what Hitler did. They understand what elimination of millions of people's means, what ideology can do to people. But unfortunately, US academia wasn't, US school system wasn't able to teach that to the, uh, the non-Jewish kids. I guess the Jewish kids, they learned it uh, through other means, I guess, from their family. They're all, they have uh, survivors of the Holocaust and stuff like that, so they learned it. But unfortunately, the others didn't, which that's also a lack in the US education system. Absolutely. Uh, Merdad Kansari asks, what is being done to combat IRI using think tanks for promotion of its agenda? Is there an effort for identifying key people in this regard? Of course, uh, NIAC is one of them uh, that, it, especially after this revolution, it was for years from 2009, uh, Mr. Hassan Dai started revealing what really NIAC is and how they are a lobby of Islamic regime of Iran. And NIAC sued him and took him to the court. And, uh, fortunately, Dai won uh, that case. And since then, there is all these pushbacks against NIAC that since last year, it has become actually a very big agenda and people really hate them, shame them, go to their uh, events and they tell them that you are not representative or Reza Aslan that I mentioned, he was coming really to all these media, Iranian medias and was defending the Islamic regime or we saw their shameful defense of the killing of 176 passengers in the flight of PS752 back in 2000, uh, I guess 2020. Uh, so all of those so-called pundits are now shamed and isolated in Iranian communities, and uh, but we are still working on it that make American uh, news media do not invite them. But we see a lot of Iran-related uh, reporters, in, especially in New York Times, that is really, really concerning. And uh, the Iranian think tanks that are working for Iranian people actually are trying to shaming them, naming them, writing letters to the New York Times and asking for them to be fired. Understood. Uh, so going back to the, the uh, what the West should be doing to, or what we should be doing to spur the West to uh, look at the Iranian operatives. Uh, Stephen Gerzak asks, have you tried to get them uh, for violation of FARA, Foreign Agents Registration Act? That's the problem. The I guess the, the terminology is broad and they are using, actually I was just in a VOA Farsi uh, documentary, I guess, about Iran's lobbies and one of Iran's lobbies <laughs> Uh, Amir Ahmadi, he came and he was defending and he was saying lobby has a meaning. Lobby means that I specifically trying to 
change a specific law in the, in the Congress, me defending the Islamic regime of Iran, of course, he didn't say me, but he meant, he was speaking general, but he is the one, he always defends the Islamic regime. Defending Islamic regime by say is not a, is not a crime, which is true. So they, they walk in the gray area. There is between the black and white of the law, there is so much gray area in between. They know how to operate in that gray area that we can't get them, unfortunately, with the laws on the book. That's another thing that has to be reviewed and enforced more. Absolutely. Uh, Jack Wasserman asks, what's the best way to bring about regime change in Iran? Stop negotiating with, the, with this brutal regime. Support Iranian people. Uh, you see them, this new generation, more than 60% uh, of Iranian are under 30 years age, and they don't want this regime. They don't want to be told what to eat, what to wear, what to talk, who to talk to, what to, who to love, how to love. Uh, so they they need support and they need the, the most important things is you make sure they have internet and that's something that we have been trying to lobby at the Congress that the Starlink must be used in Iran as well so they can at least bring their voices out and they can uh, organize and be together and meet each other but with this uh, limitation the Islamic regime put on the internet it's really difficult and they need help and support. Thank you. Lisa Bernard asked, to what extent is the lack of language skills, specifically Farsi and Arabic, among American university students uh, a part of this problem? Um, I don't think it's a problem because all Iranians speak English nowadays. It's funny that the new generation says they all, they all are bilingual, some kind of other language. It's not that it's not that they are not willing to let us speak. I had the same experience myself in my own classes in the master program. When you criticize Islam, none of your professors want to hear it. They all tell you that you're Islamophobic or you're attacking Islam. And I'm like, I lived in Islamic country. I was under these rules. How can you tell me all of this? Go read uh, Surah Nisa of Quran. It says, marry two, three, four women. Doesn't even start with one. It starts with two, three, four. It talks about women are half men, get half inheritance and all of this. So stop saying that. And I, I read a lot in um, articles about the Iran, uh, about the Islam and everything that in the academia publishes. Even Arab professors are scared of criticizing Islam. When they want to criticize, they just say, women need to be empowered. All the problems of Middle East is because women don't have empowerment. Why women are not empowered? Because of Islam. So talk specifically, be specific. But unfortunately, they don't have the, the courage, I guess. Uh, Zoran Mizrahi asks, uh, to, to sum this all up here, sobering report on the extent of the IRI's influence on our universities. How can the opposition groups and diaspora help you with your project? We have a protest on the 28th. Please join us. Come to Berlin. We are meeting the legislative body on the 25th in Columbus. Come and join us. On the 29th, we are participating in the parade of the city of Oberlin in Oberlin again, because we figured this way we can connect with the actual citizens there. You can give us money. You can contact me any way you can. My name and last name at gmail.com. Uh, go check our website. We have put things in there right now. We are uh, circulating a letter just to the academia 
to sign that they're asking Oberlin to investigate Mahalati. If you're um, an academician, please let us know, sign our letter, we really appreciate it. So there's a lot of things that you can connect with us and help us and we will appreciate any help we can get. Wonderful, thank you so much. And before we go, can you tell us what that website is? Yes, uh, IRIA, A-A-I-R-I-A dot org uh, is our website and we appreciate that you go check it out. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Ms. Bazargan, for joining us today. Thank you for having uh, me. Of course. For our viewers, please note that there will be no Israel Insider this week. Uh, please join us the following week for an update with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you again.